Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at scriptures from the Daily Lectionary for the last Sunday after the Epiphany. The last Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, how did we get that date? That's actually quite important. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are not fixed dates on the calendar. They are not fixed dates. The Epiphany, as I said last time, is a fixed date, January 6th. The Incarnation is a fixed date, December 25th. But the resurrection of Christ and the death of Christ are not fixed dates. And so Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. We are now in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany meaning that we are sharing and learning from scriptures about Jesus revealing himself and showing himself. Okay? And so we have five Sundays in Lent, and then we back up when Easter is going to be with the five Sundays, and then we move it forward, and whenever the Ash Wednesday is going to be, the previous Sunday is the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, if you look in the scriptures in this post, you'll notice on Wednesday, you, it's Ash Wednesday. We have Amos chapter 5, we have Habakkuk, I mean Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, and we have Luke chapter 18, okay? Notice that those are the daily readings from the lectionary for Ash Wednesday. Now, if you go to a, a service, a church service, you'll have different readings, of course, from the daily lectionary for Ash Wednesday, and it's a pretty significant date that many Christians uh, go to church for. Uh, Ash Wednesday, and that will begin the season of Lent. So as you look at the scriptures in this post for the week of last Epiphany, you'll see the in the Old Testament it's quite eclectic. You have Proverbs, you have Amos, you have Habakkuk, that's the Habakkuk I was just thinking about, you have Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 39. Notice in the New Testament scriptures we have Philippians, and of course you have in Ash Wednesday you have Hebrews 12, which I just referred to, you have Philippians 3, 4, and 4. There's only four chapters in Philippians, so we cover Philippians. And then, interestingly, in the Gospel of John, we have chapter 18, which has to do with the death of Christ as we move towards Ash Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, in chapter 17, this is before he's arrested. This is the high priestly prayer, the very famous uh, chapter 17 in John where he has, he, Jesus, has this extraordinary conversation uh, concerning his father and um, those that follow him. So it's quite, quite glorious. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. That's, that's good advice. Number 2, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your lips. That's another piece of great advice. So what you have in Hebrews 27 is a listing of scriptures, listing of verses, and they're each quite different. We saw that last week when we looked at Hebrews 13, and we looked at Romans um, 12, Romans 13, and Romans 14. And then you will enjoy reading 1 through 6 and 10 through 12. Just listing wonderful verses, great verses to live by. Look at chapter 30, same kind of thing. 
1 through 4, and 24 to 33, 1 through 4. When the righteous, this is, uh, this is uh, chapter 30, 1 through 4. Let's see, uh, 1 through 4, and 24 to 33, 24 to 33, uh, 32. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you've planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Clap your hand over your mouth. So, again, Proverbs, listing of scriptures, read those, enjoy them, read them slowly. I try to read a proverb a day, depending on the day. So, if it's the 15th day of the month, I read chapter 15. If it's the 18th day of the month, 18. If it's the third day of the month, 3. So, I kind of have a rotation of reading through the book of Proverbs. It has 31 chapters, just something that might be good for your spiritual development and life. Then we go to Ash Wednesday in Amos chapter 5. Now, Amos is a minor prophet. Um, he is a minor prophet and quite significant. He's quoted a lot. Uh, let's see what Amos chapter 5. Uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 5, 6 to 15. 6 to 15. Uh, you trample on the poor, verse 11. And force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you've built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you've planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. Remember, Ash Wednesday is dealing with our sin and preparation for Lent. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You deprive the poor with justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good. He says in verse 14, not evil that you may live. So in Ash Wednesday, we're evaluating ourselves in our walk before God. Then the Lord Almighty will save you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Great advice at any time, particularly good, uh, uh, great advice at, uh, on Ash Wednesday is we're evaluating ourselves, self-evaluation. We're looking at ourselves and to see where our sins are. And again, a movement away from evil and a movement toward the Lord, a movement toward seeking that which is good. Thursday, we've got the uh, minor prophet, prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk, let's turn to chapter 3. We have 1 through 10, parentheses 11 to 15, and 16 to 18. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord, verse 2. Renew them in our day. In our own time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Okay? In wrath, remember mercy. Look at the end, 16 to 18. I love this uh, series of scriptures. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. 17, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no grape on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, although there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. No matter how bad things get, no matter how ugly it looks out there, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to be joyful in God my Savior. Okay? I will rejoice. Boy, that's a decision of the will that's really quite fantastic. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel Now, Ezekiel is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. Ezekiel is quite an extraordinary man, to say the least. Verses 1 through 4 and 25 to 32. 
Every living soul, verse 4, belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son, both alike to me. The one, the soul who sins is the one who will die. So we have to deal with our sin, and we have to deal with God who has control over our sin in terms of judgment. 25, yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O Israel, is my way unjust? Is not your ways that are unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he or she will die for it because of the sin he or she has committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save his life. His or her life will be saved. A person's life will be saved if you and I turn away from wickedness. Because they consider all the offenses they have committed and they turn away from them, they will surely live. They will not die. We don't want anybody to die as we prepare ourselves for Lent and we prepare ourselves for the death of Christ. We want all to live. How are you going to live? By confessing your sins and turning away from wickedness, turning away from unrighteousness. Verse 30. Therefore, Israel, I will judge you. As we spoke about last week when we talked about God judging us. I will judge you. Each one according to his ways declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. There's the solution. Turn away from all your offenses. There's the solution. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and give you, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Now, God's going to give us a new heart and a new spirit. We don't have the ability to do that. Why will you die, our house of Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. That's how you live. And that message didn't change when Jesus came about. That message did not change when uh, Jesus began his ministry. When John the Baptist began his ministry in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 3. I mean chapter 3 and in uh, Luke chapter 3. Mark chapter 1. John chapter 1. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. He was preparing. He, John the Baptist, who was preparing us for the coming of the Lord. Ezekiel, the great prophet, is uh, reminding us of what's really important and what's significant. And then finally, in our Old Testament, uh, on the week of last epiphany, chapter 39... 21 to 29, 23. And all the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin because they were unfaithful to me. There are consequences to sin. There are consequences to being unfaithful to God. What we want is to repent. What we need is repentance and we need mercy. We do not need justice. We need mercy and grace and the willingness to repent and be forgiven. So I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies, and they fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their offenses, and I hid my face from them. Again, a perfect scripture to be thinking about as we prepare ourselves for Lent. Okay? Repent of your sins. Get your heart right before God. Confess them and say that you are sorry. The book of Philippians is a beautiful book. It's a short book. It's four chapters. It's got a lot to it. I made reference, as I've said earlier, we've been looking at Hebrews, and then we looked at a few chapters in, um, in Romans. And so we have Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Philippians is a prison epistle, chapter 2, 1 to 13. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, 
Verse 1, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This idea of becoming one that we'll see in John chapter 17, being one in Christ. Do nothing, verse 3, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, great piece of advice for all of us, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of us should look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, as we continued from last time, we have these wonderful litany of verses that tell us how to live, what is the truth, what is the doctrine that God wants us to espouse, what God wants us to live into, and then what are we supposed to do in response to what we believe. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus, as we'll see as you read through verse 13. Verse 12 my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work your, out your salvation with fear and trembling. It takes a lot of work to work out your salvation. Here's the good news in verse 13 of chapter 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we act according to the purpose of God. We move according to the purpose of God. Okay, But at the same time, He's got to do something, but we've got to do something. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Chapter 2 is excellent. In chapter 3, he says in verse 7, Paul, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, verse 10. This is a beautiful statement of faith, according to Paul, but he also wants us to share in his kind of passion, his intensity, his focus on Christ. He forgets all that is behind in verse um, 13, Forgetting all that is behind and straining toward what is lying ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 15, all of us should take a view of such things. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. This is a great way to live your life in Philippians chapter 3. We uh, spoke about uh, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, which is the scripture listed in for Ash Wednesday last time, and we looked at five epiphany. So we have reviewed that. Go back and listen to that. But it's a great series of scriptures um, about the renewal of our mind and to be transformed and um, that process of renewal that's so important as we prepare ourselves for Lent. Not only repentance, as I said earlier, but also uh, the idea of renewing our mind, renewing our thinking, so that because our thought process is renewed, then our actions will be according to the will of God. And that's what our prayer is for all of us. In chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 4, I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, verse 8, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So focus on what is good. Focus on what is right. Focus on what is pure. 
if there's anything, think or excellent or praiseworthy. Think about these things. So it matters what we're thinking about and what we're studying and we put our mind and our time to. Evaluate yourself again in the light of the preparation from Lent. What am I doing? Where am I focusing my energy? Where am I? Where is my relationship with Christ? Where are my thoughts going? What actions am I taking? And so that's why he says, whatever you've learned, we're looking at learning, receiving and hearing or seen in me. This is Paul's example. Put it into practice. So eventually, as we saw in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work at your salvation with fear and trembling. It does matter what you do. That's why Lenten time is not only a time of repentance, but also time of evaluation like what are we doing in our everyday living? Are we obeying the Lord? Are we doing what God says? Beautiful time to do that. I've learned the secret of being content. He says in verse uh, 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Beautiful scriptures. He's learned to be content. He's learned to be content no matter where he is. He knows that Christ is with him and gives him strength. So just kind of sitting here and listening uh, and just reflecting on these scriptures, Paul has a great perspective on his relationship with Christ, as we saw in Philippians chapter 3, the attitude about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, and now he rejoices uh, at the end of Philippians chapter 4, and his focus is on the Lord and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, chapter 4, verse 7. And then the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in his life, is going to keep him contented and able to give him the strength that he needs to, to have. Much more to say in these uh, three chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, but they are packed with great stuff. Now, when you go back and look at John 18, and then you look at John 17, as they are listed, you see that Jesus is arrested in John 18. And he's asking us to look at 15 to 18. And so we have Peter's first denial. Well, that's interesting. And then in 25 to 27, that's his second and his third denial. And the rooster begins to crow. This is the thrice-fold denial of Christ. In chapter 18, 28 to 38, we have Jesus before Pilate. He says in verse uh, 37, he said, uh, Pilate said, you're a king, verse 37. Jesus said, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then he famously says, what is truth? What is truth? And of course, he was staring at truth. But he, even though Jesus was present right before him as his prisoner, he couldn't receive what Jesus had to say. So we had the denial of Peter. And then we go back to chapter 17 as listed in this post. Chapter 17, Father, the time has come. He's, he's looking toward heaven and praying before he's arrested in chapter 18. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, in case any of you want to know, from Jesus' mouth, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God, knowing Christ. So in knowing Christ, 
Christ is going to reveal himself to you. You, you and I are going to have a relationship with him. He's going to guide you by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, to do what you need to do in order to be saved. As we said earlier, Ezekiel 18, repent of your sins. Put your faith in Christ. Trust Christ with your life. Okay? No God, no Jesus. I brought you glory on the earth, chapter 17, verse 4, by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before they even created anything, they were glorified. Remember, Jesus is infinite. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. Incarnation is about him assuming flesh. He's already alive. Okay. He's already alive. He's never not been present. And, of course, he's never not existed. Chapter 17, 9 to 19. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Verse 11, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So in the unity of the Holy Trinity, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in that Holy Trinity, in that union, they want us to have that kind of unity among ourselves. While I was with him, he says in verse 12, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that name that you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture may be fulfilled. We're talking about Judas. My prayer, verse 15, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, who is Satan, of course. Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation. They are not of the world, even though I am not of it. So the world is present, but we, are, we, we Christians are not of this world. Verse 17, one of my favorite verses. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to make holy. And so he's praying that the word of God, the truth of God, will sanctify them, will make them holy. The truth is contained in the scriptures. And we need to know what the truth is. And he's praying for the sanctification of the truth. And that is a beautiful prayer by Jesus himself. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. That's where we come in. I pray for all those who believe in me through their message that they may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am you. There's that unity again that we're looking for. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So God the Father sends the Son. Remember, they started way back in Genesis. We've been looking at Genesis, okay? Way back there, beginning of the Bible. And now he has, the time for Jesus has fully come, Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. He's now come. He's a baby. He grows up. He begins his ministry at 30 years old. He's now sharing. And as we saw in 18, he is now going to be crucified for uh, blasphemy and um, the Jewish people's desire uh, and the Jewish leaders' desire to kill him based on what he has said. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. That's the third time we've seen that. I and them and you and me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where, with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory of the Lord, the glory that you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So before the creation of the world in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit participated in, they were present and he was glorified. 
Now, who knows how long ago that was? So again, you're talking about an eternal being. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and myself be in them. So Jesus is restoring the relationship that we lost in Genesis 3 with God the Father. He's repairing that relationship. He has, Jesus has made God the Father known to them, and he will continue to make them known in order that the love that you have for me and, the, and that beautiful relationship the Father and the Son have may be in them so that we share in that loving relationship and that I myself may be in them so that we are in Christ. This, you could study this stuff for the rest of your life and read this for the rest of your life, and you'd still begin to just scratch the surface of the profundity of what he's saying. But it's a very, very important chapter, chapter 17. Well, in this week of last epiphany, before we launch next time into Lent, there's lots of great scriptures, very simple, wonderful scriptures from Proverbs, Amos about really reflecting on our sin, and Habakkuk, Ezekiel and our sin, um, Ezekiel and our sin again on chapter 39, Philippians in its great uh, three chapters, two, three, and four, and uh, the juxtaposition of the beginning of the passion of Jesus with Peter's temptations and his uh, what is truth with Pilate, juxtaposed to chapter 17, that great chapter where Jesus talks about unity and us being one with him. Enjoy the last week of the Epiphany and the scriptures contained therein. Next time, we'll get together and begin to look at the scriptures from the first Sunday in Lent. God bless you.